0: Thanks uh, very much for the, the invite. It's a pleasure to be here in this um, really interesting meeting. I'm going to try and uh, talk to you about whether deep sequencing would or would not uh, change your clinical management. And uh, by the end of the talk, I hope to convince you that at least in some fashion we should be doing uh, deep sequencing regularly. We already uh, personalize our therapy. I, I don't think there's any doubt of that. Um, when you see a patient in front of you, you intuitively uh, choose the appropriate treatment for that patient. However, uh, I think where we need to go is to use a series of different tests at different levels in a sort of systems biology approach to really choose the optimum treatment from a um, sort of toolbox of of different therapies that are most appropriate for the biology of the disease and the way the patient feels. In order to get to the bottom of this uh, talk, there's um, some basic molecular biology that needs to be understood about the the nature and types of mutation that exist. And so on the uh, left There are gene mutations, single nucleotide variants, uh, insertions, deletions, micro- Deletions, and on the right there are the more uh, global uh, structural change, including uh, changes in copy number and structural variation, where bits of the chromosomes move from one site to the other. Uh, They deregulate genes via a number of different ways, including movement of super enhancers around the genome and gene overexpression, and the formation of fusion. Genes where there are uh, new uh, genetic products formed that aren't present within the uh, host um, genome. So, at its simplest and from a clinical perspective, I think um, there are relatively few uh, critical, critically important uh, clinical variables that you should consider. The hyperdiploid, the gain of the. Um, odd numbered chromosomes and then translocations into the immunoglobulin genes which define the non-hyperdiploid group and then there are three critical uh, copy number changes uh, chromosome 1Q 1P and 17P and those can be manipulated by mutation, methylation, copy number change, structural variance and the basic premise is that you ha- if you increase uh, a copy number, you give a go signal to the cancer cell, and if you lose a region, you lose a break on uh, growth, and again, you have the same um, downstream effect. And above that level, you can cluster lots of myeloma together. This is a a diagram with, like, a 1,000 individual cases with copy number found throughout their genome and then clustered. And, yeah, there are clusters formed, but it really doesn't tell you that much more than if you simply looked at those uh, single regions for copy number change. And so where do we start with all of this? Well, I I think... uh, things haven't changed substantially from the translocation cyclin D classification, which is outlined here in that pie, which shows the percentages of the different subsets of disease. And that um, clustered diagram on the right of the, the screen shows that each of those different um, Subsets of myeloma has a totally different gene expression pattern, and so I think we can consider myeloma not to be one disease, but a group of six related diseases that focus their biology on deregulation of the cyclin D pathway. And so, all myelomas deregulate either cyclin D1, D2 or D3, to all intents and purposes. So it's convergent evolution on the G1S uh, cell cycle checkpoint. So it's been a a long time, but I think um, you can actually make the case now that it's important to know which subset of myeloma you have because, to all intents and purposes, it is only the 1114s and bcl 2 overexpressing myeloma that responds to the drug venetoclax. Uh, They respond well. You can enhance response by uh, combining them with uh, knockdown of MCL1 via um, bortezomib. However, this is now, I, I think, a subset of myeloma that as night follows day, there will be a specific Drug available for this subset of disease, so it will be important for all of your patients to know do they have the 1114, and that constitutes about 15% of all cases. So, I think the first example of a targeted therapy that will drive us to needing to know this knowledge in in multiple myeloma. But are there other uh, events other than the 1114? So, it is clear uh, that you can sequence a lot of myeloma and the top panel shows that there are a limited number of recurrent events, but then this long tail of very ill-frequent events. But just because they're not frequent doesn't mean they're not relevant. And I think the argument is that they are relevant and they may be able to be manipulated. But really, myeloma is a disease of the RAS- MAP kinase pathway, Uh, the spectrum of mutations in those genes varies dependent upon the molecular subgroup, and the right panel shows uh, the larger the, the circle, the more frequent that mutation, and so there are conserved activating mutations in myeloma that are present across all malignancies. And just for completion on that slide, to say myeloma didn't start last week. And if you generate signatures, it looks as if myeloma has been cooking in the body for maybe up to 20 years. And so, can we target the RAS map kinase pathway in myeloma? And I think the answer to that is yes. Um, There are two published uh, sets of data, one targeting BRAF mutations where patients will respond and go into remission even though they've been refractory to chemo, and with MEK inhibitors which target the bottom of the pathway, again, there are patients that respond well to these drugs. So the paradigm is made that you can target these mutations in myeloma. there are new drugs available that target specific mutations. is a very clever uh, way of holding that in the off confirmation. And so in rare clinical cases, you may be able to target um, this pathway. Overall, about 50% of all myelomas have an abnormality of this pathway. So it's not to be ignored as a therapeutic target. There are other rare variants. Uh, I kind of tried to illustrate where it H1 and 2 mutations are, and you can see maybe 1% to 2% of the total recurrently. When you look at those cases, they have a specific methylation um, signature consistent with it being relevant to the pathology in those cases. And there are drugs now that manipulate this pathway but the question is, how would you use them or identify them in myeloma when it's such an infrequent event? But we've all been in the clinic and had trouble finding a therapy for a specific patient. So it's not to be ignored. Fusion genes, where one part of the, chromos- of the genome moves to another part, and a novel species is formed. We don't really hear much about these in myeloma, but again, they occur. They occur recurrently. It's about one to two, maybe three percent of the total. And you can show that when they happen, those genes are overexpressed, and they can be classed as uh, transcription factor deregulating or as Ras MAP kinase deregulating, which. Is relevant because NTRAC um, is a kinase deregulated in cancer in general. Uh, there are licensed drugs for that molecular abnormality. And again, the prediction would be if NTRAC is deregulated in myeloma, it would be likely that they would respond to that as a therapy. And so I think this makes the case for. You do need to do deep sequencing. Do you need to deep sequence the whole genome? Probably not. But we need a myeloma-specific diagnostic so we can identify cases with these abnormalities and then enter the cases into a basket study where, across the country as a whole, we have a single uh, trial um, framework for asking the question, can we treat these patients according to their molecular lesions. And this is the uh, MMRF study, which I think is attempting to do a very good job. But as always, uh, things are not as clear as they may be. So not all mutations are all that. So this shows that some cases, 100% of the cancer cells have the mutation, but in other mutations, Maybe as few as 20% of all of the cancer cells carry that mutation, which makes it difficult to target them with therapeutic intent. And what's even worse than that is across the body at different sites, there are different molecular lesions. So if you treated somebody based on their iliac crest um, sequence, you may stand a chance that their shoulder wouldn't respond because there's substantial differences based on um, spatial heterogeneity throughout the body. So, this tries to make the case that myeloma is a complex disease consisting of multiple different ecosystems within the body, all characterized by different genetic uh, variables. So, if you try, if you target something, that is in a subclone all you do is basically prune the tree and after a limited period of time the disease would be expected to relapse and so what you should do is target the roots of the tree or the trunk of the tree and i think that's why the um, bcl2 inhibition with venetoclax actually targets the root of the tree and leads to complete and durable responses. So can we go any other way than targeting mutations? So risk stratification is something clearly we should aim towards. The revised ISS has been the uh, backbone of what we use. You can use gene expression profiling, this helps, but has not been broadly uh, taken up. You can use recurrent molecular events to define risk groups, which may be better taken up as we go forward. And so this um, double-hit myeloma, which consists of about 6% of newly diagnosed based on biallelic P53 interruption and um, amplification of CKS1B on chromosome 1Q These cases, um, the bottom blue curve, go to the baseline really quickly. We've had 20 years of introduction of new therapy, and this group has probably not changed in its outcome during that time. And so now as we have more tools such as um, CAR-Ts, maybe this is an opportunity for us to explore a different route in a small group of patients up front, aiming to improve their outcomes. And so to make the point about p53, it's not just loss of one allele, so 17p- minus on cytogenetics. You need to inactivate both alleles to have the prognostic input. And that's shown in the the survival curves, where it's only the biallelically inactivated cases that really uh, pursue a, a downward course. Maybe we could target these cases with uh, MDN2 antagonists, maybe we can't, but I think there's some potential for us exploring this further. This is the other main lesion, so we hear a lot about 1Q gain. That's not prognostic, it's the amplification where there's more than three copies of 1Q. Sometimes you can have 18 copies as shown by the uh, the green staining, but It's been mute as to whether this was relevant clinically, but now as we start to have MCL1 inhibitors, MCL1 is located on an amplicon on chromosome 1Q, and it looks in the preliminary work as if we may be able to target 1Q AMP with MCL1 inhibition and get enhanced responses in that group. So I'm optimistic about the way forward there. Are there other risk groups? Well, yeah, you can come at this using uh, gene expression, integrating mutations with expression. And again, that can be helpful, but we still have a way to go in this area. The other main group of translocations is shifting back to structural events. So super enhancers are a important for a cell in that they make you behave like a protein producing factory, which is really what myeloma is. But if you disrupt the nuclear structure, then you can move those enhancers around and put them in front of uh, the wrong place, lead to overexpression of things that shouldn't be expressed, and malignant transformation. The key to all of this is not that the genetics are complex. But the mechanism is simple. And so if you could target the super enhancer, say by a bromodomain inhibitor, you might be able to get some disease control. And I think that is illustrated here with MYC rearrangements are very common in myeloma. It would be good if we could target MIC and maybe bromodomain inhibition is one way that we can try and get at this therapeutically. And there's plenty of evidence now that this is realistic. The clinical inhibitors are just not up to uh, standard at about this point in time. But to destroy all of my argument as I come to the end of the talk, uh, when you find mutations in normal aging people's blood, I think you know you have a problem with targeting mutations. And you know you have to reconsider your model of what cancer is. And I think this uh, chip description means that we need to no longer think of myeloma as a genetic disease of plasma cells. We need to see it as a biological condition brought about by deregulation of the interaction between the myeloma clone and the microenvironment. And taking it in that approach, we may have a better chance of finding new agents. And so, this it simply tries to go back to the future at some level, back to considering this kind of complex biological interaction between the clone and the immune system and the stromal uh, cells. And we have great success targeting this. The use of IMID drugs has helped in this respect, and combinations of IMIDs with antibodies has helped. We failed somewhat miserably, I would say, with uh, PD and checkpoint inhibitors. But maybe we shouldn't just throw all of this out. So this aims to show that myeloma lies somewhere between its mutational load in the context of pediatric leukemia and a solid cancer where there's much more complexity. It has a signature of apobectic deregulation, but that's only in the 14-16 myelomas. And the question is, could you enhance um, the activity of checkpoint inhibitors by targeting them them to cases with a high mutational load? And I think the uh, argument is not well made that it would work. But as new drugs come along, like TIGIT and other (laughs) checkpoint inhibitors, I think we might come back to this as a uh, question. And so I still think that the way forward... Uh, relies with sequencing and deep sequencing, but what that means uh, to the people that do sequencing has changed substantially. Single-cell analysis, sequencing the expressed genome within single cells, using that to classify biology, is becoming a um, significant... um, tool in our armamentarium, and maybe we'll adjust the use of immuno-oncology agents based on ways of using deep sequencing to classify the biology of the stromal and immune microenvironment. So I'll finish there. I'd like to thank the the team at NYU and uh, the uh, long-term collaborators And just to say, nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution. So thank you.